Hey folks, Darren here. Welcome back to TSL Movie Podcast. Frank's still taking some time out, so I thought I'd jump on and do a, another ranking. And, and this time I kind of left it down to you guys to choose. So I put a poll up to see which ranking you would like to see me do. I give you a choice between 70s horror and between 90s horror. And overwhelmingly, by about 70 to 30%, this is based on polls on both YouTube and Facebook, um, you chose 70s horror. So I sat down and, and started looking at 70s horror and came up with a top 10 of my favorite 70s horror movies. So let's take a look. Okay, folks, so what I want to do first off is I want to discount one film because those of you that have been following the channel for, for some time now will know that the original Halloween is my favorite movie. Not just horror movie, but my favorite movie of all time. So I'm going to park that just there. And um, we're not going to include it in this ranking. Um, it wouldn't make sense um, because it would be the clear number one. And most of you would know that going into this. Halloween is a movie that I've you know been a fan of now since the early 80s. And... Uh, Nothing has come close to taking its place, purely from a, a, a movie standpoint and also for from a nostalgia standpoint as well with me. And uh, yeah, unfortunately, uh, nothing's going to take its place. So that is the official winner of this ranking, but I'm not going to include it. I'm just going to park it here and we will see what does come out on top. So number 10 is a movie that we haven't yet discussed on um, on this channel. A movie from the early 70s that was notorious at the time and is still somewhat notorious now after all these years. And that is The Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Now, we talked about the, the kind of requel, reboot, remake, whatever you want to call it that came out recently. Um, and we were sort of, you know, okay with it, I guess. It had some nice moments in there. But the original Texas Chainsaw Massacre, for me, is the best film in that franchise. I first saw this in the, in the early 80s. My mum and I were in the video shop, and this video had been catching our eye for some time. Um, it was the cover, I think, that sold it. The title and the cover obviously sold it. We, you know, I think it sold it for a lot of people. This particular cover, which was the UK VHS, had two words on there which caught our eye. Um, and it was, it happened. Now, we all know it's loosely based on true events. I'm not sure, quite sure how much of it is based on true events, but it, it's one of those things that's kind of been embellished a little bit. Um, my mum was obsessed with true crime, um, always has been, still is to this day. And the fact that this was a true story or based on a true story or loosely based on a true story, I think caught her eye. So we rented it. Uh, I think my dad was away or working or something like that. It was one of those films that was a real shared experience. You know, both of us were scared. Both of us were laughing at it in equal measure as well. And it's for, for a while, I, I enjoyed watching the film. Then over time, as I kind of got older, I started to think that it was just a, a horrible, sleazy kind of mess that promised a hell of a lot more than it actually delivered. And I sort of gave up on it over time. I wasn't a fan of the noisy sequel that came out. I can barely watch that film these days. I, I think the only thing that kind of allows me to watch that is, is Savini's work in it. But 
the film itself is just the Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2 is just such a racket uh shouting screaming just just a horrible watch in my opinion and completely out of kilter with with the original Texas Chainsaw Massacre now I know that was the whole point of it um and a lot of people you know cite it as being one of Toby Huber's best films but I'm just kind of really not a fan at all and so the franchise never quite clicked with me until about, I guess, about 20 years ago. The remastered DVD came out for a Texas Chainsaw Massacre. And I remember sitting down to watch it and was actually quite disturbed by it. Those low-budget production values, that sort of undercooked production, uh, the cheap sets, the kind of ropey acting, all kind of added a layer of of sort of dread and, and ambience to this film that I, I think the movie's far cleverer than the movie makers um, were capable of and that they ever got credit for. It is, as I look at it now, I think it is one of those movies that is incredibly unsettling, a difficult watch, even though there's not much in the way of gore there, but there's just something that's really tonally off and it gets under your skin. It's it's a grubby little movie that um, I think, and I always say this, I, al- I always say that it's a fluke is this film. I feel like it's, they set out to make a movie and it turned out far better than they ever could have imagined or were even capable of just because of the elements that they were dealing with. The the, the hot weather, the, 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 the lack of budget, um, and and just and, and also Gunnar Hansen's performance as well as Leatherface. And over time I've just kind of really warmed to it and and I love hearing about it as well. I love hearing all those little kind of uh behind the scenes stories, the the documentaries that they've brought out. For me it's uh I think it's definitely one of the best films of the seventies. But I do think it's unintentionally one of the best films of the 70s. I know a lot of people won't agree with me on that, but but that's how I feel. I do think that this movie is a fluke as to how good it is. It was just a boiling pot of all these different things that came together and made this really quite unsavory film. Okay, number nine is Richard Donner's The Omen. This film tells the story of a US diplomat and his wife who, through a series of events, end up with a kind of, I guess, prophesized uh, antichrist in the form of their son, Damien. Gregory Peck, Lee Remick, Billy Whitelaw, people around them dropping dead left, right and center. And it's almost, it almost has like a Final Destination feel to it. These... These and that, you know, I don't really, I'm not a big fan of Final Destination, but when you look at how some of these deaths pan out in this film and the subsequent sequels, you can see that the makers of Final Destination have had some sort of influence from what happens in The Omen. Um, you have that there are hangings, stabbings, skewerings, 
uh, decapitations, uh, suicides. It's all going on in this film. It really is a horror classic. And the fact that it's set in the UK makes it really special for me. I actually enjoyed part two as well. I think there are some awesome moments in that film. It doesn't quite live up to the original. And, you know, the subsequent sequels don't either. I mean, Final Conflict was somewhat a mess, but again, had some really interesting moments in there. And then the, the the fourth film, I don't really remember. I've seen it. The remake, not so much. But yeah, The Omen is one of those films from the 70s that really stands out and is number nine on my list. Susan! Okay, number eight is a movie from the early 70s, a British anthology horror film. Um, I want to shout out Matt Pattinson. I put a still on the Facebook group and on the YouTube community page from this film. I just skipped through the movie and found the most random still and said whoever can name this movie based on this still will get a shout out on this episode. And within seconds, Matt Pattinson came back. And I was just gobsmacked because I thought I'd made it really hard. Um, This film's called From Beyond the Grave. and It's a British anthology film based around Peter Cushing, who who owns like an old antique shop. And each segment of the film is based on a customer coming into the shop, buying a, a trinket or an antique or something along those lines. And there's a story that unfolds with regards to the purchase that they've made. Now, each of the stories is either really haunting or really horrific. Um, and the one that really stands out to me the most is is a particular uh, episode with Donald Pleasance and his daughter, Angela. This is my daughter, Emily. It was really cool to see this sort of rare moment of the two of them on screen together. And From Beyond the Grave really stays with me as one of those kind of classic British anthology movies. Smash the door! It was made by a studio called Amicus, who were a sort of rival to Hammer in the 70s. And, um, yeah, you should check it out, guys, because this kind of predates, you know, the the creep show movies. Yeah, I think you would get a lot of fun out of this film. So check it out. It really is uh, worth a watch. Number seven is The Amityville Horror, um, a movie that I saw on TV in the early 80s. Um, I never saw it on VHS or anything like that. I just remember it being on TV one night. That haunting <laughs> Lala Schifrin score kicked in, and I was like, this is interesting. Uh, and again, riding on the back of things like The Exorcist, The Omen, all those other kind of uh, haunting movies or burnt offerings, you know, uh, that came out uh, around the same time. It's another movie based on a true story um based on the defeo murders now how much of this is actually true or not i don't know i don't really know the backstory behind this it's about the lutz family who move into the defeo house a year after um that i think ronald defeo was his name killed his family in there and the fact that you know it made it feel like it was a true story from the outset now we all know that there are kind of 
it's questionable as to whether this is a true story or not. But Margot Kidder and James Brolin, I think, do a great job of playing the Lutz family who move into this house where the DeFeo murders have happened a year before. Um, there are some genuinely scary moments in this film. Um, Rod Steiger plays um, a priest who tries to come and exercise the house as weird happenings start to start to go on. Blood coming from the walls, an infestation of flies, the kids seeing imaginary friends. And one particular moment that's always, always stuck in my head. And that is the, the, the moment where the kid gets his hands trapped in the window frame. It slams down on his hands and the whole family are trying to get his hands out as it's pumping blood out of his fingers. A really, really upsetting moment. Amateurville horror has got lots of atmosphere and as the movie progresses, we figure out that, that, that James Brolin's character is becoming, I guess, influenced by this house and turning against his family. Um, we find out that he bears a bit of a resemblance to, to, to the original killer from a year before. Um, and eventually the family fled. Whilst it was panned at the time, and, and actually this movie was nominated for awards at either ends of the spectrum. Um, I think Lala Schifrin was nominated for an Academy Award for his for his score on this film. And then the I think the movie uh, was nominated for Raspberries, um, or the equivalent of back in the 70s. Um, I don't see why. I think it still stands up as being a really, a genuinely creepy movie that... Uh, I feel has, has stood the test of time. And so it remains in my top 10 after all these years. Number six is a film that is kind of well known, but every time I ask people if they've seen it, no one ever has. It's a movie called Don't Look Now, directed by Nick Rogue, and it stars Donald Sutherland and Julie Christie. Um, they play a couple who are grieving over the loss of their daughter um, who drowns at the start of the movie. Uh, they retreat to, to Italy, to Venice, where, where Donald Sutherland is working on the restoration of a chapel, I think it is. He's kind of dealing with his grief in, in that way through his, you know, through creative means. But his wife is struggling with it and she's addicted to, to uh, prescription medication, things like that. And um, they end up seeing a psychic who warns them of um, a, a kind of, they get a sort of message from beyond the grave, um, almost like an impending doom message. Uh, and what happens is Donald Sutherland starts to see his dead daughter around the streets of Venice. And so it's a question of, is she still alive or not? Um, it, it's really emotionally challenging and, it, it really does play with your mind throughout. It's, you know, is John genuinely seeing his daughter or is he starting to mentally cave in? Um, it, it's one of those movies that really does deliver on the dread side of things. It's, it's incredibly bleak, um, but so well made. And so, as I keep saying with these films, very unsettling. Um, I suggest that you watch this one because the, the quality of it is fantastic and the payoff is something else. It's one of those films where you just don't see it coming. Um, so yeah, don't look now. Check it out, folks. It really is worth a watch. 
Next is Alien at number five. I had a weird experience with this film because I first learnt about this film in a chip shop, a fish and chip shop in the early 1980s. Um, I, I was getting some supper with my dad. We were on vacation somewhere. And um, in the background on the TV while we were waiting for our fish and chips was the chest busting scene. There was a telly in the top corner of the fish and chip shop and the staff were watching it as they were frying fish. And the chest busting scene was on with John Hurt. And so when I came out of there, having already sort of dipped my toe in a few horror films at that point in my life, I was just obsessed with it. I had to see what this film was. And so I think it was the next time it was on TV, I watched it. Um, This would have been about, I don't know, I, I guess around about 1983 at this point. And, you know, Alien is a slow burn. And it's another film where, as on first watch, I didn't instantly love. But over the years, I've really kind of grown to absolutely adore it i think it's a near enough to a masterpiece as you can actually get um ridley scott's work hr giga's work it all just kind of falls into place and and we get this amazing atmospheric sci-fi horror film with sigourney weaver who was one of the original final girls but not only one of the original final girls one of the first real female action stars as well um it's a great movie terrific effects and it has that thing whereas less is more you know you don't see too much of the alien until the latter stages of the film and when you do see it it's an absolute thing of beauty incredibly incredibly creepy uh design and yeah one of those films that that has grown on me over the years the second movie i thought was terrific too i think at the age that i was i probably engaged more with aliens than i did with alien but as time's gone on i appreciate the original now for what it is rather than the sequel even though i still love the sequel um so yeah alien is my number five movie Joe Dante's Piranha is the best of the Jaws ripoffs. There were many Jaws ripoffs in the late 70s and early 80s. Blood Beach, Crocodile, Alligator, Killer Fish. They were all over the place uh, during that period. But Piranha really does stand tall as the best of those ripoffs. Um, Bradford Dillman, Heather Menzies, uh, who else we got in there? Kevin McCarthy, Dick Miller, a lot of Joe Dante alum in there. Um, yeah, it's uh, the story of, of genetically altered piranhas being, uh, I guess, drained into a, a Texan river. Um, and Bradford Dillman and Heather Menzies have to stop this before it gets to a, a, um, a bunch of kids who are having a party in the water. Now, Joe Dante broke all sorts of rules in this film. He killed old people. He killed teenagers. He killed kids. In the most graphic of ways, too, the makeup in this film was really, really good for the 70s. They didn't really hold back at all, whereas Jaws was had that kind of PG effect. This was most certainly an R-rated movie and didn't take itself too seriously as well. 
there was a lot of um a lot of black humor in this film and it really does shine through even to this day pino donaggio's score as well is incredibly fitting for this film incredibly haunting and some of those piranha effects even now just look stunning as they're gnawing away at people under the water and you can tell that that the people really do like this film it's had two remakes in the past there was a tv version of the film in i think the early 90s uh with william cat and then obviously alex ages uh a remake in i think it was 2010 piranha 3d which uh another which was great i love alexander arger's work and i think he paid homage to this perfectly but the original will always have the special place in my heart just that that amazing um, VHS, that poster artwork, which was obviously a kind of spin on Jaws, but really grabbed me in the video store in the 80s. And so, yeah, Piranha is my fourth favorite movie uh, from the 1970s. Okay, this top three, um, I agonized over as to which would be number one, but I had to go with my heart in the end. Three fantastic movies. Um and the third placed movie is The Exorcist. Did you do that? Uh, do it again. In time. No, no. In time. Frank and I did an episode on this some time ago, and um, we were surprised by how well it was received and, and uh, how, how many views it got. People really do love this movie. In fact, some people cite it as being one of the best films ever made. I absolutely adore it. And I think perhaps it possibly is the better made film of the top three. But I have to go with, you know, the connections I have with these films and the nostalgic regions that I'm picking them. Uh, And so The Exorcist is at number three, unfortunately. Although I absolutely love this movie. Um, some people call it slow. It is a slow burn, but there's so much to get your teeth into in this film. The story is fantastic. The performances are great. There's so much going on in it. Jason Miller's performance as Father Karras and uh, Father Merrin, played by Max von Sydow, who kind of, you know, with Dick Smith's makeup, ended up looking exactly like he did just before he died uh, in real life. The, the aging make- makeup was fantastic. Linda Blair and what she went through in this movie with the whole possession sequences, the, the, the physicality of this role for her, along with Ellen Burstyn as well, who, who went through hell with the director of this movie, wandering around the set, firing guns just to get reactions out of people. The, the backstory of this movie is almost as entertaining as the film itself. And so, yeah, The Exorcist... After all these years, 50 years old this year, uh, and we have a kind of, what, sequel, requel coming along as well. I'm not sure how I feel about that, but um, yeah, the original Exorcist is my number three 70s movie of all time. Dawn of the Dead, my number two film. Um... This will annoy Frank because he's not a fan at all. I guess it's one of those films that's that's quite different to 
the other Romero zombie films. Um, people don't really get on a lot of the time with the kind of bluey grey zombies. I don't care. I think that when I first saw this film, that was one of the things that attracted me to them. I had no yardstick. It was the first zombie movie I'd ever seen. And it felt like an action movie as well as a horror film. It was putting the undead into this real world situation, a shopping mall, filling up a, a place where we all go week in week out with zombies and and people learning how to survive against them savini's work in this film is just top notch um okay people will will laugh at the makeup as i mentioned i I don't believe he's too enamored with it these days but the gore that he uses in this film i think is great now the people again will will argue that the color of the blood is too bright um, but I don't care. It gives it that kind of comic book feel for me. And, and it is a kind of a roller coaster of a movie. There's so much going on in it. I just, I just love everything about it. I really do think that the performances are good. Um, George A. Romero's direction's great. They must have had so much fun working on this shoot closing down a shopping mall at night and and shooting through the night and and cleaning up the next day and I'm sure it was laborious but it's just that setting which is so striking and it I remember seeing the trailer for this before I saw the film and it's just hundreds of 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 undead walking through parking lots and walking through um fields and everything and I just thought wow the scale of this film is huge you know, I was used to watching movies like Halloween, whereas it was small town and you had one guy chasing two or three people. This was lots of people chasing two or three people. And that fight for survival really appealed to me. And again, a lot of the 70s movies had great scores and we've talked about a few of them here. I didn't talk about The Exorcist, but yeah, The Exorcist score is, is fantastic as well. But um, goblin score in this film <laughs> as cheesy as it might sound today really works with this movie and along with a lot of Claudio Simietti's other work with Deep Red and Tenebrae and things like that I think it sits there as one of his best scores and it's a lot of fun and Dawn of the Dead not only my favorite second favorite movie of the 70s but also my favorite zombie movie of all time as well Number one, Jaws. Jaws is my favourite 70s horror movie outside of Halloween, of course. Remember, I parked Halloween at the start. I didn't want to include it. Um, Jaws is one of those films that I can never tire of watching. Whenever it's on TV, I will watch it. If I see on the planner that it's on, I will go to it and watch it just to see what part of the movie it's on at that particular point in the day. It's the ultimate summer blockbuster as famously this kickstarted the trend of summer movies again like dawn of the dead it's another roller coaster i saw this for the first time on its re-release in the cinema when i was very young i remember a year or two later um it was on tv for the first time in the uk and the excitement among school kids at that point Everybody was going around saying, are you watching Jaws tonight? Are you watching Jaws tonight? People couldn't get enough of it. It was on the front of every TV magazine. It was advertised in every commercial break. And sitting down with the family to watch this was just 
<laughs> was great. It really was. Um, the movie, and I still, and I've mentioned this before, Frank and I have done episodes on on Jaws in the past, and uh, I still am gutted every time I see Quint get bitten in two at the end. Um, because you, you gravitate towards that character as the movie goes on. Such an interesting character. I think it's devastating when he dies. I really do. It's uh, it's a movie of two halves. You know, you have the devastation in the town for the first half, and then you have the kind of sort of hunter-killer moment where these guys all come together. These three guys from different backgrounds, different lifestyles, all come together to take on this beast. And it is one of the most exciting hours in cinema. It really is. And so for that reason, and many other reasons that I haven't got enough time to go into, Jaws remains my number one horror film from the 1970s. It is, in some instances, the ultimate movie. I really do believe that. And I will never, I say this so much, I will never, ever, ever tire of watching this film. it delivers on all levels. It's fun, it's scary, it's shocking, and it's daring. It was incredibly daring for the mid-70s. And so never more shall we see you again. <laughs> Let me know what yours are, guys. Let me know what your um, favourite 70s horror films are. Put them in the comments below. The other option was for me to cover the 90s films, which I think I will do. I think I'll look at some of the 90s horror and put them into a ranking as well. There's a lot of good 90s horror. It's not all urban legend and um, I know what you did last summer and Scream. There is a lot of other alternatives in there as well. So I think I'll put something together on that front. I know a lot of people expressed a preference for 90s. Um, It's not my favorite decade by a long shot. But there are some quality films in there, so I think I'll put something together. Just a couple of shout-outs before I go. On the YouTube membership side of things, I just wanted to uh, say thanks to Chopper, WDRD Channel 13, and Wayne Bonner for rejoining the the membership scheme. Thanks very much, guys. And also, I want to give a shout-out to Frank. Frank and I spoke during the week. Hopefully, he'll be back with us soon over the next few weeks. And uh, yeah, he's doing well. He's doing well and he's very, very thankful for all the good messages that you've been sending him. So fingers crossed we'll see him soon. In the meantime, I shall uh, sign off with this. Amen. <laughs>